Hello, it is Danielle, your host here at Crying in My Cheesecake, and thank you so much for being here. I hope this episode finds you doing well and feeling secure and hopeful. I created this episode after a really hard couple of weeks. And by hard, I mean stressful and busy and on the go and always being on. Do you know what I mean? My body was feeling it hard by day 14. I had dark circles under my eyes in which I never, ever get. But this is what happens when you're running a full-time job of your own, raising four animals, three kids, homeschooling said kids before homeschooling was COVID cool, and also running the errands, eating properly for my needs, working my rehab and training schedule, trying to keep up with my own schooling that takes 15 to 20 hours a week on its own. And yeah... Something had to give, and clearly it was my sleep and stress management. Although I was overly stressed the last two weeks, I've been listening a lot. I like to talk a lot. Imagine that. But I've been listening a lot to what people are saying, not what they're struggling with per se, but what they're saying. I've actually been quite shocked to realize that there's a trend that's happening, and I don't quite know when it began, but this trend of people not eating with their people. Let me get into this a minute because it was really kind of mind boggling to me. Most of you know my day job is working with clients for nutritional and life counseling. I specialize specifically in people who struggle with obesity and obesity related diseases, or maybe they aren't struggling necessarily with obesity yet and those related issues, but they see it coming because of family history, right? Okay, you know, maybe their blood work is starting to show what they knew was coming, that kind of thing. So I'm pretty well in depth with how people eat and like the the protocols around it. But I honestly didn't realize it was outside of my client base that families, even if it's just a husband and wife or even singles with their friends, people are mostly eating separate from one another. Now you're probably like, okay, so what? Like this is what life is. What does that have to do? What does that matter, Daniel? Like what can this possibly speak to at a grander scale? All right, well, let me speak into that. Let me speak into the what's or the so what's going on in your head right now. When we eat without people, we are likely not making great choices. For example, the husband may be working late and you may be working late, which means there's no food made for dinner and it's always a struggle to just get something together, let alone trying to consider balanced meals. Over time, this mealtime Um, discussion becomes a burden. It may cause fights and it may cause frustration because both parties are so tired from their workday and all the stresses of the day that cooking is the last thing they want to do, let alone worry about the healthy foods. So the couple comes to an agreement. How about we just order out, you know, three days a week for dinner during, you know, during working days. Now, Keep in mind, this is not to mention that they probably already go out on the weekends or have habits that that are in a, you know, not healthy habits on the weekend anyway, and that won't change. But they're going to add in three days now of ordering out to help take the pressure off of both of them. Cool. Like this takes pressure off of both sides of the couple and there's no real expectations other than who is going to order what and decide from where. So the food they choose may start out looking pretty darn balanced or pretty good for the best you could get. But over time, eating that low quality food um, from faster restaurant, you know, faster restaurants, even if it's a sit down restaurant and you take it out, it may start leading this couple to crave fatty, greasy, real low quality foods. Then they find themselves ordering more quantity of foods. Then eventually they get tired of this 
And we'll begin with the, hey, instead of ordering out, this is just becoming too much. Why don't you just grab something on the way home and I'll grab something? Awesome. Next level of pressure taking off of the person who's been ordering that week or whatever, whatever the routine was. The food that is grabbed at this point is then likely eaten in the car or is eaten when a person gets home and usually not together at the dinner table. It's usually eaten in front of of the TV, the computer, or while scrolling the phone. If this describes you or parts of you, or you find yourself in the succession, let me speak into that. This matters for a few reasons. The first, you've taken the easy way out of a responsibility to yourself and those living in your home. Let me repeat that. When we take the easy way out of a responsibility to yourself and those living in your home, you've literally taken the easy way out and created a problem. The easy way out is not usually going to lead to making better choices as time goes on. I really believe this is why the regression of quality food happens in some houses and why some kids are struggling with obesity and so forth because they've been part of the demise of choice of food and needing more physical food to fill them up. Let's use uh, an example. I talk with my clients. Many of them started with me telling me they cannot eat all this food when, I, when they were starting with me. They told me that they could not eat all this food I was asking them to eat. They're having a hard time eating all the food I've asked them to eat. So why? Because the foods I've asked them to eat are more whole, unprocessed, and usually larger in physical size. But the foods they were eating were high in calories and processed ingredients, but low in bulk size, thus leaving them hungry and wanting more, even though they've had enough calories for the whole day and possibly one meal. If you are not familiar with my McDonald's story with the double bacon or the double bacon cheeseburgers or the um, double quarter pounders, please pause or after you've listened to this episode, go to episode nine of, of my podcast. And that's where I'd go in and discuss. It's called double bacon cheeseburgers and pizza rolls. I go into more detail on um, what that can do to you. So again, by doing this process You've taken the easy way out of a responsibility to yourself and those living in your home. The second thing is that you um, are normalizing in our culture and for our next generation that food isn't important as long as we're fed. People are always watching and you have a sphere of influence, whether you believe it or not, people are always watching you. People will do, including the little people in your home, if you have them, what you're doing. People will always do what you're doing. Simply because you're the sum of the five people that you are in most contact with throughout the day. What they do, you likely do something similar. What you do, they're likely doing something similar. When I was teaching, I was around a lot of people who enjoyed Thirsty Thursday. And if you are not familiar with what Thirsty Thursday is, it's a day from college, honestly, that you that people would drink on Thursdays. So Thirsty Thursday was a night that we go to a place and grab some drinks and some bar food. Guess who partook as much as she could afford? Yep. Guess who put on 60 pounds while she was working in that type of environment? Yeah, me. So remember, when you are making these decisions of boxed foods, and I'm not going to talk about the economic impact on that just now, but when you are choosing boxed foods or that drive through line, or you are choosing to order out from a restaurant, if you have the money to do that, when you are choosing that, you are normalizing for culture 
and the next generation that food is not important as long as you're fed. Okay. The third thing is that food is meant to be eaten in fellowship and is meant to be savored, appreciated, and actually useful for the body. It's not meant to be left up to the last minute calls to the local pizza place nor the drive through on your way home. The problem with this goes back to ancestral wisdom on how we digest our food. I'm sure you've heard it said that you are what you eat. Let that sink in right now. You are what you eat. If you're eating Pop-Tarts and Taco Bell, are you really a Pop-Tart? And are you really annoying as a Chihuahua that can only say Yo Quiero Taco Bell? As funny as that might be to think about, I want you to realize that you aren't only what you eat. You're what you can what you can absorb. So how can we ensure that we are absorbing our food that we put in? Well, you have to be able to digest what is going in. And if you're eating foods that are highly processed and your body does not understand how to digest that well, and it creates inflammation in the body. And I'm sure you've heard about inflammation. I'm sure you've heard that word. Inflammation in your body is treated inside like you are sick. So if you are experiencing inflammation, you might feel achy, sleepy, irritable, and just similar to how you'd feel after being sick for a while. And if you're feeling that, you're probably feeling inflammation and likely from frankenfoods that you're consuming. I'll go into more detail in another episode about frankenfoods, but you can hear about some of this in episode five where I discuss diseases of civilization. But let's talk about this digestion. Let's talk about this. Like, and I will do my best to make this applicable in, in this very moment for you so you can actually understand the importance of digestion, which also would make you understand the importance of making sure that our foods actually allow us to live life abundantly. So I'm going to go into a lesson here and I want you just to follow along and I want you to, I don't know if you're walking. I know a lot of the people that listen are walking when they're listening to my episodes or my podcast episodes, but if you're walking or in your car or if you're just sitting there folding laundry, I want you to stand, sit or whatever you're in and just breathe in deeply. Notice where your breath goes. Did it go into your chest? Did it go into your shoulders? Did it go into your stomach and your pelvic floor? Did it go into your back and the sides of your ribs and and your stomach and just you felt like completely full? If you didn't, connect with your breath. Try to push that breath down past your shoulders, down past your rib cage and into your lower stomach in that diaphragm. That diaphragm is going to push down your pelvic floor so your belly can just expand even more and hold that air and then breathe it out. You just connected to your body. That was a physical way I could connect you to your body. Now, I want you to think about your your brain. Digestion is a north to south process. So let's say you're having IBS or IBD or constipation. Why did I bring those, those up? Because the top two medicines prescribed and over the counter in the United States are medicines for um, diarrhea, and constipation. So if you're listening to this, you likely experience this. Maybe you haven't gone to the doctor for this yet. So this is only people that actually go to the pharmacy to pick up medicine. And if you're struggling, you don't have to struggle in silence. But let's think about that. If digestion is a north to south process, I want you to 
realize that everything that happens at the end, so the IBS and the IBD, the constipation, all of that, is because something on the north end is not working right. So I want you to think about your brain. Our brain houses your central nervous system. And your central nervous system works in two ways. There is the sympathetic um, response and the parasympathetic response. So I want you to think about sympathetic response. The sympathetic response is, um, let's think fight or flight. It is how we respond to stress. It's how when, um, when we are in a stressful situation, whether it's good, like exercise and um, maybe working through some healing uh, inside or with our, within relationships and things, that stress is good stress. Bad stress is obviously if there's something at work or if there is something you ran over a nail and had a flat tire and you're on the side of the interstate and it's raining and it's muddy and you don't know what you're going to do. You feel alone. Or um, you see a child getting ready to go put a hand on that hot stove. And that is all of that is stress. And that is your sympathetic nervous system process working. Okay. Now, when you think that the blood flows when you're in a stressful situation, the blood is being pumped and the veins are bigger, like your blood um, vessels and and the um, arteries get bigger. So it can pump even more blood to the muscles and to the other areas of the body to give you quick energy and extra like supernatural strength really is what that is. Now, I want you to think about this too, that when you are scrolling social media, and you come across that perky person that everything is just so flowery and, and beautiful. And when they're exaggerating about how much they love their husband, you know, there's actually something going on behind the scenes. But it, if you're single and you see them gushing over their spouse or their or the significant other, or you see someone's brand new house look just immaculate and beautiful, and you're living in a one bathroom, three bedroom home for 18 years, um, <laughs> By the way, that was me. When you are in that, you're constantly like you're starting to feel stress. You have a stress response because it makes you mad. It makes you start to compare yourself. And that also, again, causes the blood vessels to be wider and pump more blood to your muscles and things. All right. But the pair, I'm going to switch over the parasympathetic phase or the parasympathetic nervous response is one that is calming. It's one that engages your body's digestive system. It helps your body prepare for digestion. And like I said, it's calming. Which state do you think we should be in to eat? Should we be in that fight or flight mode, that high sympathetic nervous system state, or should we be in the parasympathetic state? And obviously, it's the parasympathetic state. So if we are not even prepared to eat, if you're going through the drive-thru, you have to be paying attention to all the cars around you. And if you're eating in the car... There is nothing about eating in the car that's calming unless, I mean, I guess you could make amends like if you are actually parking um, to eat and then eating in the parking lot or at a park or something. That's a completely different story. I'm talking about when we're driving and eating. So if you are not fit, like mentally engaged in your process of what's in front of you, you are not going to start the digestive juices. You're not going to start your saliva going. You're not going to start prepare your body for the food that's coming. Okay, so that's the first thing. How do we engage our parasympathetic system? Well, there's easy ways. If you are a believer and um, someone that prays, you could simply just give grace over your food. 
and it re reach it like um, reverts your mind to this place of gratitude. You can practice some form of gratitude before. You can do breathing exercises to connect with your body and just push away that stress to just prepare your body. Think about where that food came from. If you have um, if you have a garden in the summer, or you um, someone has a garden and they gave gifted you some food, or you went to a local um, uh, farmer's market, or you went to the store and grabbed some food. Think about those farmers, the hands that touched it. Praise God for those. Be grateful for those people that put in the work so that you can eat. Those kinds of things will help you to engage your parasympathetic nervous system. Next step. So again, we're north to south. If we are constantly in the stress state, you're going to have issues down in the bottom. Okay. Next, think about your mouth. When you're chewing, are you like me and load up that fork? Yes, I'm pounding my hand. Load up that fork as full as you can and shove it in. Chew, chew, gulp. If you're like most of us, your answer was yes. You should be chewing your food to the consistency of a smoothie before it is swallowed. I've tried this with that humongous fork full. That food just slides on down. Like whether you're ready for it to go or not, you're like, oh, I can't get it. Like I've, I've eaten too much. You can't get it back. Obviously, that means that you need to half what's on your fork and put your fork down. Don't keep holding it. And like, you know, if you're like me, I talk with my hands. And so I'm like flailing my fork all over the table and everything. Put the fork down and chew. Make it a, make this a discipline because what happens when you chew your food to a smoothie consistency is that all the starches that you may be eating, those begin to digest there. How cool is that? Like if you have enough saliva to break down this food, it can start like pulling out the molecules of the, of the actual nutrients that you need so that when it gets to the stomach and it, and then it takes out the rest of the, the molecules or whatever and like breaks down the, the anything else that's left, when it, and then it goes into the small intestine, it can absorb properly into your body. How cool is that? Also, when you chew, more the, the more you chew, the more um, digest, the more that your hydrochloric acid is prepared for that food that's coming. So let's move into the stomach. When we get to the stomach, um, if everything is going right and you're chewing properly, your stomach digests protein. So what your pro, what it's doing is your stomach is actually acting as a barrier to any kind of foreign, uh, what is it, uh, foreign bodies. So think any kind of, oh, like COVID. Let's think like food poisoning. Let's think um, norovirus, rotavirus. Let's think flu. Let's think anything that you would eat and like some kind of virus, bacteria or pathogen or, or oh, what do you call like worms? Um, I can't think of the name, but worms. I was trying to think of a better name, uh, the word for it, parasites. <laughs> so I didn't have to say worms. Um, but worms are real, a real, or a reality in most in most countries. So your body actually digests that and and kills off as much as it can, as long as the the hydrochloric acid or HCl is working properly and is at proper function. So then when all of that happens, all the molecules can be just like kind of free flowing and, and everything. And then it goes into your small intestine. It Your small intestine is just like, oh, it's easy to absorb these things. Like I can actually get these things to absorb and get to the body where they're supposed to go. So then if let's say you're just chewing a piece of steak and your steak, you're just like chew, chew down. When you're doing that, it's going to slow down your digestive system. It's going to cause possible um, allergies or sensitivities to certain foods because it's going to be sitting there and it's going to continue fighting it, fighting it, fighting it, breaking it down, thinking it could be a pathogen or a virus or a bacteria of some sort. 
Let's think about your potatoes. You need a baked potato. Most people don't chew their potatoes because if you listen to my, my intro, I can't stand when people chew their potatoes. Um, so most of us are not chewing our potatoes. And when we swallow them, if there is any kind of undigested foods left, then that's when we can have dysbiosis and we can have different kinds of candida or um, gut issues, our gut health. So it's important to make sure that we're chewing. Let's move into the large intestine. Now, I realize I'm oversimplifying some of these processes, but I want to give you a mental picture as we come down into your stomach where you just breathe down in that pelvic floor, that large intestine that is right there between um, your belly button. Actually, it's like goes all the way around that area. But just thinking about that middle section of your stomach and the large intestine, the upper part of the large intestine is pivotal for creating your mental health. Did you know that you need to feed your body well So that when all those nutrients and all of that stuff that comes down, all of the leftover um, particles that are left can feed your mental health literally. Serotonin is made in your large intestine. And if you need to look up what serotonin does, please do so. It will change your life to support your gut health, okay? But it all starts with our brain. What I want you to think about is that Any kind of dysfunction you're feeling in your food or in your digestive system will start from the north to south thing. But also, if you're going to take the time to eat properly so you can digest, why not make it proper foods that help support your mental health and your actual physical health and your immunity and, and more? Why would you not do that? It takes up to 21 days and maybe more depending on what's going on, but it takes up to 21 days with proper behaviors and habits around eating to make your digestive system heal and begin absorbing foods. Not perfectly, but it will begin to heal and begin absorbing foods. 21 days. And I want to remind you that you want to be what you eat normalize this in your home, normalize this in your sphere of influence, normalize wellness in your sphere of influence, that you can do that. Um, I'm going to move on to the next thing when you are continuing to go down that cycle of eating poor foods. Another repercussion is that you're going to end up paying more for the faster, more highly processed foods when you factor in healthcare, medicine, and hospital bills. It's no secret that people who are overweight or obese spend more money staying that way than they do actually healing the problems that reside underneath. Let's face it, to be overweight, it costs more to clothe. Clothes are often up to $10 or more than the standard American sizing of clothes. And what's worse is that if you go to another country, they may not even make your clothes in our traditional sizing and you may have nothing to even choose from if you want to go shopping. So clothes cost more. Food costs more because you're going to need more quantity to continue to feel full as your stomach is the organ, the stomach begins to expand. So you're going to want to find the cheapest foods so that you can continue to eat more to feel full. Evidence is everywhere that prescription costs for being overweight or obese are higher than your healthy weight counterparts simply because diabetes medicine and then heart disease, and then hospital stays, possible broken bones. And if someone becomes immobile, then they have the cost of a visiting nurse and medical supplies and all of that. Like it just compounds. And if you're 20 hearing this, doing nothing and just continuing in your habits, if you're 30 continuing in your habits, the older and the longer it is, the quicker these bills are going to pile up. I also want to address the first excuse I hear from most everyone. 
well, it's Big Pharma's fault because medicines cost so much. No, 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 no. Actually, it's your fault and the rest of our country's fault. Who do you think made Big Pharma? Big Pharma could still be Big Pharma if there was a demand for the pure supplements and herbs and so forth that would actually heal people from the inside out. But they know there's no money in it because they know that people won't do it. They know that the supplements, the herbs, and the, the proper healing aids, that's not a Band-Aid like medicine is. Now, again, this is not a thing that, against medicine because there is a need for actual medicine to help us in, in real life. There needs to be balance, right? But I was talking to a friend who was upset about the doctors just when, like, she hasn't gone to the doctor, I think, in six years. Six years. Six years. <clears throat> anyway, she hasn't gone to the doctor in six years. And she said she was upset because the doctors are prescribing pills and not actually providing help. And I said, do you blame them? How long have they told the world to eat better foods and move your body and no one does it? And I can say that because I, I, I've lived it. I've lived it. Everyone, including me, wants a Band-Aid and to not actually put in the work to be well. And when I say everyone, I mean the government. I mean everybody. Okay? It's not just, it's not the doctors. It's not Big Pharma. It's literally everybody. And the doctor... If the doctor is being ethical, knowing his patients, knowing that he or she is not going to do what it takes to be well, like for real, he is going to be ethical and use what he knows with science and pharmaceuticals to keep people alive. That's ethics. Like he wants to keep people alive, meet people where they are and actually put in some help. Now, do I believe that there are some doctors who don't care, or don't know and just don't understand? Absolutely. Like that's, that's a, that can be totally a case. But doctors don't go into the business of medicine to just make money off of pharmacy reps. And that's a flippin' joke. The reality is the doctor does not get paid for writing a prescription. The only thing that they do get sometimes, depending on the company, is like a consultant fee, which is nothing more than an affiliate link from your favorite Instagram influencer, except what's different is that you have education, ethics, boards, everything else behind your doctor. You'll easily click on that affiliate link for your Instagram influencer, but you won't and don't trust a doctor. That's interesting to me because it's not, it's not a lucrative business for the doctor. Let's be real. It's not a lucrative business, but trusting your doctor is and has professional ethics and moral standards. He or she's not just going to write a script that he doesn't think you need. If you are concerned, obviously, you can always ask the doctor if they have a relationship with the company of the prescription he wants to write you. He has to legally and he will disclose that information and you can have a conversation with him. Be an advocate for your own health. Saying doctors and big pharmas are why we're sick and is another excuse that shifts blame to someone else other than the person who needs to wake up and seek real help. So essentially, what I just said, you have no excuse. You have no excuse for complaining that you're going to pay more. None. And the fifth thing, shifting blame and seeking band-aids is why people fall prey to crazy dieting protocols. Any dieting protocol without a doctor or a professional, like uh, when I say a doctor, I mean a doctor who is in bariatric, or bariatric professional or a, I think they now have like lipid professional doctors and that. So like when I say real accredited pre professional, I mean legally practicing professional and that restricts these people are able to restrict anything in your diet, but you do not. 
your fun health coach or whatever else does not have legal scope to help you restrict anything in your diet unless you're allergic or have a real sensitivity. And that right there would be a fad. Like that's a key of a fad. If anybody restricts anything in your diet, that is a fad. Do you ever wonder why your doctor doesn't prescribe the latest fad or dieting protocol or dieting company as an option to help you? It's because dieting protocol or because any dieting protocol that makes you lose weight fast without proper support of professionals before and after for the long haul. And when I say long haul, I mean forever will cause you to regain it back rapidly and then some. And then that causes metabolic damage that causes a lot of damage of things internally. I literally have a client who had a full hysterectomy following one of these pop-up shops, health coach places, because she was eating 600 to 800 calories a day. So then you're probably like, okay, well, how do I know what a fad is? Well, how do I know what a fad diet is? I shared this on social media um, a couple weeks ago, but these are from the, the, I'm taking all of this information from the Cleveland Clinic website, the Cleveland Clinic, and it's linked in the show notes if you want to look it up yourself. But how do you spot a fad diet? recommendations that promise a quick fix, claims that sound too good to be true, simplistic conclusions drawn from a complex study, recommendations based off of a single study, dramatic statements that are refuted by reputable scientific organizations. If you're handed a list of good foods and bad foods, recommendations made to help sell a book or a product, recommendations based on studies published without peer review, Recommendations from studies that ignore differences among individuals and and groups. By the way, you're a bio-individual. Elimination of one or more of the five food groups. If you can't have fruits, vegetables, grains, protein, foods, and dairy, or subgroups like grains, dairy, fruit. It's a fad. Diets that have testimonials. All those people that are always showing the before and afters, and this is what I've done. And Cool, but what, what do I have to do? If you have to buy a company's food, supplements, drinks. That's a fad. If you are eating less than 1200 calories a day, that's a fad. Most people can survive or need more than 1200 calories a day to have a healthy, active lifestyle. And the other thing I would say is know when you're ready to actually do the work because the work is harder than any of those fads could ever provide you. So to sum up my thoughts, get to the root of the the issue always. If you're noticing higher blood work numbers, do something about it that actually works. Watch the foods you're eating and how you're eating them. Pay attention to the people around you. Are they really the people you should be around? Or are you missing people at the table? Are you distracted, overly stressed all the time? Are you making balanced choices? Do you even know what balance looks like? A balance is not a salad and a a Snickers bar, which you'll see many companies comparing. Because that salad may have 1,200 calories in it. And that Snickers bar is only like 200 and some if you get a normal size Snickers bar. Do you even know what balance looks like? Are you overwhelmed at this information I just shared and how countercultural it is? Do you have questions? Are you concerned? What's going on in your head at this very moment? I want you to journal. Pull out your phone on the, note, on the notepad while you're listening. Write down everything on your mind. Pray through it. Think through it. Look it up yourself. Reputable places to look up things is PubMed.gov and the Cochrane Library. And I'll link those down below in the show notes. Ask your doctors what you're reading. Ask your nutritionist. Stay away from the friends unless they're truly qualified. Your friends probably don't have the credentials to do it. I'll link below in the show notes with my resources how to schedule an appointment with me for free consult. Do it. There are no obligations. If you aren't a great fit, 
I'll find a qualified individual to support your needs. Trust me. You do not have to do this life alone. You are only as alone as you make yourself. I hope this information today helps you to really look at the macro or overall large picture of what ramifications the small or micro habits you've created can do to you, the people in your sphere of influence, and the next generation. Did you know you can buy me a coffee as a way to say thank you for this content? You can click below in the show notes or go to buymeacoffee.com slash CIMC. subscribe, leave me a five-star rating, and I'd appreciate any positive reviews. Thanks.